This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of Real Estate Is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Hi, uh, my name is Solo Gandhi, and I'm partner in the tech group at Goodwin. Um, what I love about real estate and kind of the, the interactions with tech is that real estate has always been a place of grounding for me. I'm a uh, son of Indian immigrants. And the, the home environment in kind of as we moved here was always really meaningful to me and, and kind of a, a safe harbor. And I love the fact that real estate can be that and it can be a place that you travel to and visit and you get to know people and cultures. And that's what's always been important to me. And I think I love this intersection of tech as we see real estate, you know, the uses for it and the interactions is changing day, day to day. I'm Minta Kay. I'm the leader of Goodwin's Global Business Real Estate Unit, which is indeed global. We span Hong Kong, London, and a bunch of other places. What I love about real estate is that it is extremely tangible. And it impacts the way people feel about where they live. It impacts the way people feel about where they work. It's unavoidable. And as communities are formed by this hardscape, we actually have an, an ability to impact that, which to me is exciting. Real estate tech, also known as prop tech, is a thing. We've talked to VCs on this topic and highlighted entrepreneurs who are dedicated to this rapidly accelerating trend. Now, we'll close the circle on this topic, sharing a discussion with a major law firm that has now planted one of their flags squarely in prop tech. In this conversation, you'll hear from two law partners who are spearheading their firm's PropTech initiative and helping the firm's clients navigate this new and constantly changing landscape. From New York City, you're listening to Real Estate Is Your Business, powered by Preview, a smart online real estate brokerage providing expert advice without the high fees. With Thomas Kutzman and Scott Pollock. Minta Salil, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks we're for we're super excited about what uh, what you're working on. Your recent announcement of your prop tech initiative at, at Goodwin. Um, obviously, on the show, we're very focused on the intersection of real estate and technology. So uh, it's extremely exciting to see a, a law firm, you know, dedicate an entire you know practice and focus uh, on this. So uh, I, I wanted to kick things off by uh, asking you uh, what inspired the the reason and the move for this initiative. Goodwin is fortunate in that we have a huge real estate bench that's global, and we have a huge technology bench. We started getting incoming calls and questions from our clients on the real estate side and on the technology side, asking about, from the real estate perspective, what was going on in tech, what were these new ideas coming down, what were these new technologies impacting were other clients looking at them and thinking about them. And on the tech side, we began to get inquiries about whether our institutional real estate clients would be willing to invest or would be willing to buy you know, whatever products that the tech companies had to offer. So we woke up with an absolute convergence of our practices, raising this as an obvious place for us to go. What does that say broadly for the real estate industry and the tech industry, that that convergence basically led to you creating a whole new practice area, as opposed to doing what you had presumably been doing, which is existing, coexisting in the, in the law firm and working together? Yeah, I think from the tech side, the interesting thing is that 
you know, I always say that technology is, is a type of company, but it's not an industry sector. So we get to work on, on the tech side uh, with companies across all different types of industries. So real, you know, real estate or prop tech has become a growing part of that, but we're also in, in med tech and consumer goods and advertising and digital media. And so from, from the technology side, what's been exciting is that we're just seeing more and more uh, serial founders focused on the space and more people coming out of the real estate sector who have experience in that area looking at technology to say, how can we innovate in that and, and kind of making that conscious effort? I mean, do, you, do you have a, a fintech practice area and other yes. kind of subsections? So that's a that that unto itself, you're nodding yes, that means that it's reached that boiling point point to suggest that there's it, something it, new. It has. Do. In fact, we have fintech, we have blockchain, you know, we have people who do a lot in that space as well. From the real estate perspective, real estate's been very slow to be willing to think about and adopt technology. That's changed. And real estate operators, owners, and developers and institutional investors have realized they need to pay attention because there is a cascade coming down around them that is requiring them to think differently about the hard assets that they own. And that's what's particularly exciting here. You know, real estate is becoming more of a service and not a hard asset. That's hard for people to get their head around mm -hmm. if they're very traditional kinds of investors or owners. But that's where Salil and I, when we sit together, see you know the greatest potential for opportunity among our clients and in the tech and the real estate spaces. Okay. And did you find it was more of the disruptors, the you know the startups in real estate tech reaching out across the aisle to the you know the incumbents or was it, you know, the reverse where the large owners, operators were saying, how can we connect with the, you know, the startup community? I would say it's been a bit of both. I mean, you can comment on the tech side and how that hit us first. Yeah, I think on the tech side, we've certainly been seeing that for some time. I think the first kind of innovations in the prop tech space were, were really kind of consumer listing sites. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember first moving to New York, you know, well over a decade ago and using Craigslist as my first way to find an apartment. That I would consider a prop tech company or, or an aspect of it is prop tech in that it was a, a way to disrupt kind of how you traditionally found, found apartments. So I think we've been seeing that on the consumer side for some time. And it just, you know, moved farther down, down the continuum. And I think at this moment, we started really seeing the wave coming in from the real estate side as well. And I think that's what kind of energized us at this moment to, to, to say that, that, that it's bigger than just kind of a couple of entrepreneurs disrupting or a couple of, of people on the real estate side. Right. So the it. big brokerage firms have now started their own real estate prop tech funds. Big institutional investment managers, we work with a number of them, more than $60 billion in assets, are putting a few million into the same space. The reason for that is to make sure that they are remaining abreast of what the latest technological impacts could be, or at least not being left behind the curve. So, you know, those institutional investors are relying on the tech companies and the aggregators and the new tech prop funds to keep them educated about what opportunities might help them on that side improve investment returns, develop smarter buildings, which will improve investment returns, and figure out how and when to modify their portfolios. So it sounds like oftentimes in technology, the consumer demand is what's met first, and that kind of pulls along enterprises. It sounds like that's what's happening here as well. And that's what motivated uh, kind of the organizational shift in, inside of your company. I, I think that's, a, that, that's right. I think the, the example that, that 
Minta, you know, that I'm going to steal from her now, that I always <laughs> use is a great one, is that with the technology, I think it's, it's all those things that she mentioned, but it's also that the way we actually use and consume real estate is changing. Yeah. The great example uh, is that, you know, with the, the prevalence of ride-sharing uh, services, moving to, you know, think about 10, 15 years out, whenever we really felt like autonomous cars will be there, people are rethinking kind of the fundamentals of what is, a, you know, what is a building, how is it designed? Do, you know, how are parking garages used? Do we need special lanes for drop-off if people aren't going to drive themselves? So I think when you think about kind of that, that actual development and kind of the fundamentals of what is a building and how it's, how it's structured is really what's driving kind of this moment where people are really looking from both the real estate side to how is technology, what is, what's coming and how, how is that going to impact me today for a building that may be used 5, 10, 15, 20 years later? And then obviously the interest of, of, of that is driving entrepreneurs to say, Great. Let, let me think about all the different ways I can I can innovate in this space. I mean, so you mentioned before that you see real estate has become more of a service versus as a hard asset. Now, mm -hmm. I'm curious to get your kind of fuller thoughts on that and how is that affecting kind of all the elements that we traditionally think about real estate, especially from a legal standpoint, like the structures that need to be changed or, or precedents that are no longer applicable, et cetera. So, I think from the first point of view, you know, clients customers, tenants, whatever you want to call them, they used to be tenants, but they're now thought of differently, are requiring services in their buildings that were not available before. And there are groups that are developing now skills to rate, like lead rates, sustainability and environmental compatibility, to rate technological sophistications in buildings. Right. So, you know, there's that aspect coming to it. There are technology groups that are developing apps that are community-specific, including office building-specific, where people work that allow them to have a private, uh, you know, uh, construct on their app to allow them to know what's going on, to get in, to allow people in, to modulate their ent entire existence within a building. So that's interesting. The other aspect that I think is very interesting is the shape of the way that real estate is going to change. And the autonomous vehicle thing is not to be taken light of. A lot of people feel that the suburbs will come back into favor because mm. people will use their cars as working offices. Yeah. You know, so there's a, a lot of different thinking about the CBD appealability, the live, work, play appealability downtown. And it's going to be interesting to see where some of that comes back. Well, that's really interesting, Tom, because I know we've spoken about this with a few guests in the past around future cities versus current staples of suburbs like malls and, and what's yeah. happening there. I feel like there's a debate and happening. And the idea of thinking about technology as it applies and changes the uses of real estate and the like, like, for example, autonomous cars bringing back the suburbs it's interesting to consider where all those things could go and, and who's right. I agree. And the most interesting thing – this is the most interesting thing to me about this all is that we know we don't know what is coming. Yeah. But we know something is coming. So you take retail. You just have to read the news and you can see how much of it is destroyed and changing. But a lot of it still is morphing to different purposes. You know, a lot of retail is being reshaped into medical office so that hospitals and medical care are more accessible to local people. There is a lot of repurposing going on, even in retail itself. You know, you have what used to be big standalone stores now becoming showrooms, if you will, yeah. with really serious e-commerce you know, functions so that people can go in and look at stuff and do their thing and walk out and buy online. 
we're seeing that with our clients who own space like that. The thing about the retail malls is fascinating because the real estate's exceedingly well located, mm. generally, and there will be a hunger for that. Does but like what is well located change if you know the the sprawl and location of where people are starts to change too? Well, if suburb suburbs become you know more interesting again, not so much. With respect to assets that are located on highways, for people who need to be able to get there, not so much. So I think that it will find its way back into a different use. This raises a lot about you know zoning, permitting, what that's going to look like. To your point of like you you don't know yeah. what's coming. Um, it's going to raise a lot of extra you know bureaucratic regulatory hurdles, which obviously is great for a law firm. Um, <laughs> for, for bus- it's great for business. Um, but um, when you think of like when new cities, smart cities, you know, sensorification, like there's the zoning and building permit side of it, but there's also now an increased amount of data privacy, you know, that's available. I guess there's parallels from other industries, but how do you think about all that new information that's in people's hands? Yeah, it's something that we face, and it's one of the first real issues that we're facing. Because I think for the first time in the real estate space, we're collecting much more data than we ever did. And I think you know we're seeing uses of that uh, on you know for artificial intelligence uses across the entire real estate you know industry. So from sourcing deals to to pricing deals to design to usage, and then on the maintenance side, certainly. So we, we, we you know, are working for the first time, I think, with, with these clients in intellectual property and data space that had never thought about these issues before and saying, well, what is it you're collecting? What are you telling your consumers you're collecting? And are we using it okay by those terms? And more importantly, are we set up with privacy policies and, and are we providing enough notice to people that, that can consent to them? Because is it just clicking on, on, you know, like a fob as you walk in enough consent? Do you have to have post things? So I think there's a number of issues. And I think we have members of our team that, that really are, are, are specializing in this and, and really going deep on, on these issues. And we're getting a lot of inbound calls from our real yeah. estate clients asking these questions because they're, they're, they're collecting data for the first time that they've, they've never collected before. So over the past few months, I feel like everyone in the technology space has talked a lot about GDPR and privacy regulations that are coming in, you know, especially from Europe um, that probably haven't hit uh, folks outside of like the the tech space as much. So I'm curious, um, are there specific regulations that that folks in the real estate business should be aware of right now and ones like a GDPR, for example, that might be very relevant in the coming years? So I think the the challenge is it, the regulations are coming in a few different ways and at many different levels. So people are worried about, you know, GDPR is obviously the European Data Privacy Initiative. So we have clients that are global and they have users that may be global. So so the the, the program is written so broad now that it may be that you have a European that travels to the U.S. And, and we collect the data. Now, do we get caught in that? But it's also at the federal level. And then we also have, have state-based regulations. Illinois has, has some privacy regulations around uh, biometric data and, and collecting that data. And so that's that's an important one if you're you know managing real estate there and if you're doing facial recognition or, or, similar, or, or similar issues uh, in, in, within Illinois. So it's kind of a, a really – can be a very global issue, but it can also be a really granular issue I mean, as well. Does that mean that, you know – Certainly, a, a large multinational firm can appreciate the, the 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 need to be on top of data protection. But what about the random landlord who owns a single building in Chicago? Is that a person who needs to be worried as well? Probably less so. But if that random 
building owner in Chicago has some sort of affiliate that's operating outside the U.S., then they're going to need to worry about how they're collecting data and using it. The, t- the tangent points are very, very broad yeah. and surprising to most people who think about themselves as operating in a particular jurisdiction, if it's outside you know, the EU or the UK, the UK but little things can trip up and increasingly, big disclosure requirements. Yeah, it sounds like increasingly that awareness of privacy and data privacy needs to be something that everybody across the real estate industry at any level starts Rightfully to be so, right? I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that education will come from a few different places because I think the technology won't just show up on the doorstep without some of that thought being placed. I think, you know, um, as has happened in other industries, I think, you know, the incumbent business, in this case, real estate, I think will push that back on on whether a technology solution is and say, well, you know, we're concerned about this. How have you solved it? You're collecting data for us. What what protections do you have in place? And I think you'll see kind of that interaction of, of push and pull of whose liability, who's collecting the data and who's responsible for it ultimately. Right. Yeah. Because traditionally in the real estate industry, like it was more of a person to person. Now you're person to machine. And like that raises a whole nother level of concerns of not just, you know, video capture biometrics, but you also have like machine learning. Are you talking to a bot? Are you talking to a real person? Right. Um, and I'm actually, I'm fascinated by that. Like at what point, like, do you have a disclosure issue of, am I talking to a person or a, a machine? Yeah. I- it's an interesting question that I haven't actually thought about, and and I think it would really depend on what that interaction is, and 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 what is a service being provided. And at again, what point. as I said, yeah. we know we don't know no. what we don't know, and you know, time is going to tell how all of this evolves. Actually, to your point earlier about what legal impediments or you know constrictions may be around the thinking of all of this, that's certainly a huge one. People are gathering a lot of data, and they're they really don't know what to do with it, yeah. you know, and there are constraints around the hardscape as well. It seems like a lot of it comes back to what you said before, Minta, which is that, you know, real estate is going from a hard asset with a single transaction between, Tom, to your point, people to an ongoing concern, a service that has a regular cadence of communication between people, computers, and everything in yeah. between. Coming up, we'll get a little bit deeper into some of the things that are most exciting to you uh, and the trends you're following uh, from your vantage points. Uh, But first, uh, you've been kind enough to bring uh, a snack. Snack time. And it looks different from our normal guests. Most guests bring, uh, you know, packaged or store-bought food, but uh, this looks homemade. I'm encouraged by what's in this this tinfoil here. Well, we're not your normal guests, first for <laughs> starters. Yes, I have brought you a pumpkin cake, Amazing. homemade. Wow, thank uh, you. It's a family favorite, and just a little tidbit here for those in the audience that this may be relevant to. Uh, my family is very allergic to almost everything. Eggs, milks, nuts, fish, whatever. This is a pumpkin cake that you will not know. has no eggs, no dairy, no nuts, no anything. Mm. So it's a really safe product. It is just a pumpkin, actually. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you're you're going to see. Yeah. It looks like a pumpkin. And if people want the recipe, they should Amazing. text you. <laughs> do you bake a lot? Is that is that? I do. It's funny. I love to cook. Calories? I bake some. My daughter has taken over the full baking role because she loves it more than I do. She's willing to spend a lot more time at it. But we're a big cooking family. Oh, fantastic. And so, how about yourself? What did you bake for us today? Yes, you, we are a big takeout family <laughs> in the wonders of Brooklyn. I can get a pumpkin cake delivered in five minutes, I bet. 
autonomous vehicles and services exactly fantastic well thank you yeah, you're welcome you. i hope thank you enjoy you. thank you for being this yeah we have some plates handy here Good. so we'll uh we'll cut a few slices All and right. uh we'll have to report back uh and we'll be right back Hey, everybody, this is Vikram Iyer with the American Enough podcast. And just wanted to thank all of you for listening and tuning in week after week. Uh, we are just on the precipice of clearing our one year anniversary. And this has been an incredible journey and examination of who America really is against the, the headwinds of our modern times. If you are interested in the perspectives of mayors and how the identity of their cities is changing America's fabric, or how our foreign policy is changing the way that CIA agents do their business, or even how those brave enough to come forward and, and stake a claim in the Time's Up or the Me Too movement, how their identities have, have been changed by speaking out so publicly, uh, or even if you're just interested in how Netflix documentarians are viewing the world and using satire and entertainment to cope with our current times, there is something for everybody across this channel, and uh, we hope that you continue to subscribe and like wherever you pod. American Enough can be found on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. Um, and if you have any feedback or would like to or have any ideas for more great show, um, you know, never hesitate to, to email Vikram at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com or tweet at us at our uh, at Vikram Iyer on Twitter. And uh, please keep spreading the word. This is not over anytime soon. I don't have any allergies, but uh, I know I'm you know, fully safe uh, after having that. So uh, you know, thank you for uh, bringing that all the way. Don't uh, I want some after uh, after that cake? Just feed me anything allergy free. <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys. But no, you, you mean you brought that all the way in from Boston? So uh, you know, thank you so much. Um, I wanted to get back into things, and you know, technology has always moved super fast. Um, you know, people are inventing new technologies. Uh, but real estate's been looked at as this, you know, dinosaur of an industry, slow to slow to respond. How would you characterize, you know, where we're at within this real estate technology trend, uh, and what are you seeing f as far as you know the speed of the you know interactions with the clients? I would say that you're right. Real estate has been very slow to think about changing its operational models, and slow to think about investment models and investment horizons. But at this point, the community has gotten very ripe and open to looking at the way that technology is going to change it and is with open arms embracing the possibility of change to the extent that it can. There is a demonstrated interest in learning more. There's a demonstrated interest even in the most bureaucratic institutional investment platforms to learning more and to being at the table. So I think you're going to see a speed up like you've already seen on tech happening on the real estate side. And when you look at like other industries such like ride you mentioned ride sharing earlier or you know folks like Airbnb like they were fighting city hall they were fighting regulation um how much of that interaction going forward do you think it's going to be you know clients or companies you know fighting the bureaucracy as opposed to just creating, you know, loopholes or, or just new technologies that are not necessarily in need of regulation? I think there's going to be a mix. I think there will be some fighting because the government is just slow by nature. But 
It's come to our attention. We are seeing now that governments are adopting AI. They're really themselves opening their minds to real estate technology to build and design and think about better communities or communities that are more user-friendly to the generations that will be in them going forward. So I think we will see a healthy convergence of open-mindedness on the traditional real estate side and open-mindedness on the regulatory side that will allow innovation to occur. And do you think it's a defensive posture that a lot of these companies in the real estate space are evolving towards where they have to start speeding up and embracing technology or be left behind? Or is it more of a kind of proactive measure where there's a lot of growth opportunities that are ahead of them if they to start to kind of adapt their ways? So I'm curious if you see the need for adaption or just the opportunity for it. I would go with the latter. I think people are excited about what they're seeing out there right now. I think they're very eager to learn and to adapt. Younger generations are coming up in the real estate sector with different mindsets and different experiences in life. So I think there's a real appetite to learn and adapt and evolve. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, you know, we've seen shifts in different industries um, over the last decade, 15 years. And I, and I think, I think there's just a general attitude in whatever industry that we realize change will come. And so we might, we might as well be on, on, on the forefront of that and, and see how it benefits us versus I think some of those first tech companies, which were, you know, phasing out some businesses and there was very much just a, a clash right up front and it wasn't, how can we work together? It was, you're changing the way we, we, you know, we do business. And so we just don't like that. And I think we've seen that technology has kind of triumphed in a lot of those industries. And I think you'll, I think so. The result of that is everyone else is, is wants to be a welcome participant. And from your various interactions with all of your clients, what are some of those most exciting you know changes um, that are exciting you? I think that the personalization of the use of space is very very exciting. We see it on the multifamily side, commercial. We don't deal in residential as much. We see it also in the office space. So I think the idea that curated environments can be created for people is very exciting. I also, when I look at what our landlord, traditional landlord clients are looking at, see that elasticity in space is very, very important. And to me, that makes tremendous sense. You know, businesses no longer want to lease very large footprints, very large, you know, for very long terms. So they're looking to have a little bit more opportunity to bob and weave, grow and combine, share space with other, you know, tenants as well to invigorate, you know, thinking. I mean, do you, does that look right now like you know, renting to co-working spaces and companies like that? Or do you see other trends that are emerging in the personalization of space and the shorter term, shorter term use cases? I think that the co-working space is was the beginning of it, but I think now we're going to see different models evolve after that. Co-working is one thing, but we are working with clients who are thinking about how to evolve space to allow different dedicated space to clients who want to move up and down, go side to side within a building, you know, or otherwise share space. And how does that manifest? Is that purely from a legal standpoint that you have to create different, you know, contractual structures or things like that? Or is it also affecting like the physical building and construction and 
other elements that might affect, you know, architecture regulations and, and building structures and engineering codes? Certainly both. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you need to move walls, then you need to think about buildings differently if the walls need to be more flexible. So it comes from both perspectives. Yeah. Yeah, and even like when you think of like how you contractually take that space, like obviously the movement away from leases to licenses for space mm-hmm. is one big thing. Or um, you had spoken earlier about autonomous vehicles. Of what about the need for parking? What will parking garages look like? You know, and what are what are those things? Um, or even going back to the autonomous vehicles, I'm curious to get your perspectives on this. Um, what will zoning be like as far as can autonomous vehicles and driver or actual people driving their own cars, how will they interact and what will be the regulation around cities, space? Um, can they both coexist? It's going to be a very interesting thing to see. We, you know, we have an office in the Seaport District in Boston where a lot of this is playing itself out right now. The issue of parking garages is a fascinating one. There will be a decrease in demand for those. Many of our clients now are looking at shifting the construction and the floor-to-ceiling ratios for garages, which are still required by zoning, not gone, but allowing them to reposition space later on when the demand for parking declines. There will need to be places to park these fleets of cars, so space that's really out and not so desirable, I think is going to become desirable in some spaces mm-hmm. where they're big plots to house these fleets. There will be a shift. I mean, it sounds like there's, in the same way that in the technology front, comp- cities that have embraced disruptive technologies have benefited from those. Um, there's a similar opportunity in the real estate side for cities to embrace changing regulations to support autonomous vehicles or new building codes and the like. Are you seeing that happen with any cities in particular in the U.S. or, or, or elsewhere? It is happening. <clears throat> it's happening slowly, though, because as you would expect, government is a little bit slower to adopt some of these technologies. Some of the cities where we're seeing this play out more are the less well-established cities yeah. who are wedded to their large skyscrapers you know, and other codes, and they're more innovative in the middle of the country. And is that just because they're probably smaller cities that have, have more flexibility, flexibility to try something different. What are some of the cities that you would say are, are kind of leading the pack in really trying to innovate and, and allow for innovation? And there, It's interesting. I mean, we're seeing St. Louis, for example. We're seeing cities in Idaho. Some of the California cities, as you would expect, are pushing right. the edge already. Yeah. And are they working on anything particular? Like you were mentioning for autonomous vehicles, which have some, I think, cities in California, Nevada that are starting to license that and allow that. Are you seeing any of these kind of space-specific innovations in the codes change, like garage templates? Not yet. Mm. Not yet. But we are seeing people push on zoning regulations to decrease the amount of parking that's required. And in fact, that's welcomed in many of the more urban environments, as you can imagine. Interesting. And Salil, obviously you come from more you know, pure tech background. How Are you seeing a shift of the you know, existing technology companies partner with real estate or see a significant shift from classic tech to, to real estate tech? Yeah, I think you're seeing a shift in, in a few ways. I think one, you're seeing kind of very clever 
uh, entrepreneurs who are saying, there's something happening here and I want to be part of it. So it may not have come from a traditional, you know, real estate or property background, but are jumping into the space because they realize, you know, there's an opportunity and it's kind of ripe for innovation. And then I think you're you're seeing it, and I and I would say that we saw it kind of with fintech as that was getting started, where where there are seasoned professionals across the across kind of the, the real estate spectrum that are that are coming out. So we you know um, we have a company that that we love working with. They're, they're a young company, and they come from kind of a construction background, and so they they essentially are now a data company that that's trying to help minimize uh, accidents on sites by having a, 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 a sensor a network in order to help predict and identify uh, potential issues on, on the construction site. So those are not necessarily traditional kind of tech entrepreneurs because they came from a, a very, you know, hard industrial, you know, construction background. But I think you're seeing that kind of story, you know, uh, play out in all the different aspects of the real estate space. I think that's what's really exciting to have these very smart, very sophisticated individuals that are now looking to say, hey, what can the technology do to, to, to solve this pain point that, I, that, that I've lived with for 5, 10, 20 years? Mm-hmm. One other comment I would make in terms of your earlier question about where governments are playing into this, infrastructure is an area that people are hugely focused on mm-hmm. as being benefited by the ability to deploy more robotics, you know, more, more uh technologies to allow better digging, better building, and better all of that. So I expect to see attention paid to that and advancement in that regard. That's really interesting on a couple fronts because, you know, one of the things about infrastructure that gets so much attention is around the job creation opportunity that comes from infrastructure projects. At the same time, one of the biggest criticisms of technology is that it it takes away jobs, as you mentioned, you know, robots taking over mm-hmm. jobs and, and what have you. So I'm curious if that's something that we're seeing, if you're seeing in these infrastructure projects, if there's a, if there's a conflict between those approaches. We're not seeing jobs lost. We're seeing jobs change. And people are being forced to develop different skills and different aptitudes yeah. to be able to respond to the you know evolving economy with tech in its entirety yeah i think that's right i think we're because ultimately these are operation services that that will have to continue yeah. they they are you know still physical buildings that will have to be serviced and i think you will see that shift um, more in predictability more in terms of can we prevent uh, more preventative medicine than reactive and i think that's where you'll see some of the shift from our side yeah. and are you seeing any sort of reaction from the governments that you that you're interfacing with um, around some of these kind of shifts in how infrastructure projects are engaged in and the impact on jobs which obviously politicians are often concerned to protect not yet yeah. very slow I think we'll see that in the next five years or so, but we haven't really seen it yet because this is still very early days with all of this. That's right. And I think governments are watching. Um, They're just not reacting yet. There hasn't been a clear kind of fundamental shift yet in in a lot of ways. I think the the, the fight you're seeing around some of the the ride sharing sites are just coming to some maturity. Um, But we've seen, you know, that's probably the farthest long kind of a shift in, in user adoption. But I think on a lot of the... The, the more traditional prop tech, we're just at the early days, so we haven't seen those kind of fundamental shifts that that are that are causing people to react. Either consumers, you know, calling government or go- government being proactive about it, and hopefully the opportunity is there to get ahead of of those concerns, proactively right. train up on new skills as opposed to. We certainly hope so. Yeah, yeah. And we've talked about some of the things that like, excite you and the trends you're watching. Um, 
obviously when you sit down with your clients, what are the biggest concerns they have? Um, not just the opportunity, but what are the biggest concerns they're, they're most worried about? Depends on the client. Some of our clients are fund clients that typically own real estate for about seven years. And they have been advised and they've come to see that if you buy a building and you sit for seven years and you don't do anything with it, technology will have passed you by and you will own a dinosaur in a very short period. So our clients are very concerned about making sure that as they go into investments on the front end, they're buying into real estate assets that are smart will stand the test of a 7, 10-year, 20-year period of time and will be responsive to the demands that real estate as a service, you know, will provide successfully. Yeah. And the interesting thing is it's also this kind of interesting kind of coming together of these two businesses because on the tech side, uh, like most entrepreneurs, you know, our clients are kind of plowing ahead as quickly as possible innovating as quickly as possible. And, and, you know, we're often trying to pick up the pieces to, to, to then say, how are we sliding it in? How, how do, you know, your, your real estate clients feel about that? How are end users feel about it? And, and, and where are we on the continuum? So, so I think there's, there's always that, that head down, let's plow ahead. And, and I'll comment on that, which is very interesting for us, because as I said before, we sit with a very large platform in tech and a very large platform on real estate. Mm -hmm. And we're constantly watching people, confused or trying to sort out how to connect, you know, their businesses together. And mm -hmm. we play a large role in making sure that they can communicate with each other and make that happen. But in these early days, it's very interesting to see that collision. Yeah. You know, speaking of collisions, one of the tech real estate collisions that we talked about recently on one of these episodes is around blockchain and how that's starting to affect funding models and tokenization of, of buildings and the like. I'm curious if that's something that you're starting to see any uptick on, or is it largely in the kind of uh, up and coming space, but haven't been realized from a practical standpoint yet? I think we're still in the very early stages. So I think we are certainly looking at how technology can shift funding models. And, and you've seen that with both on the consumer real estate side, as well as the commercial side, be it, you know, loan platforms or equity investment platforms. You're seeing that in, through kind of change in securities laws and the ability to, to raise on a public market through Reg A+, you know, smaller amounts of capital, and it's kind of the IPO light. And you're seeing a number of our, our clients looking to raise for bespoke or, or one-off real estate projects that way. We haven't quite made the full shift to, to the tokenization. I think it's still early days on how the SEC views that. And I think, you know, given the risk profile of most real estate uh, developers, we, we haven't quite fully adopted those. But I think that they're on, you know, they're on the way. I think more so or less so on the funding side, I think you're going to see them more as a utility for a lot of the consumer-based transactions that, that that come across, so if you think about a large uh, landlord who has who's signing hundreds of leases a year, the ability to have that you know in the blockchain to easily have a smart contract where that gets transferred, where you could connect the the rental history, the payment history to that you know that token or that blockchain as part of the blockchain, and have that data both available but easily transferable. I think, you know, that's one area that, that, that we're seeing. And, and as lawyers, how do you feel about the idea of smart contracts? Is that, is that <laughs> puts you guys out of business in any way? Or is that no, something that's No, it just shifts support? business. Like I yes. said before, right? Jobs change and, and, you know, the need to provide services will change. So that will just 
shift the need for different kinds of, of advice. I will say we have some clients that we work with who are extraordinarily creative and they come in with really interesting ideas mm -hmm. about how to deploy <laughs> blockchain and Bitcoin in real estate transactions. And they think and they think and they think those are slow to mature if they ever will. But in terms of the blockchain and real estate transactional work, there will be a role. You know, a lot of governmental registries are looking at using that instead of the old-fashioned go to the desk, you have to record your document. Financing transactions are happening through the blockchain right now. Our fintech group does them all the time. So that is happening and there is credibility being established around that. Where the Bitcoin piece feel fits into in terms of payment of rent or payment of uh, purchase price or ownership of an asset will remain to be seen. Yeah. Because on the tokenization side, you know, most people see it, you know, first playing out in the commercial side. Because yeah. um, you know, are you going to buy a, a, only a partial a part of your own home? Um, but it's it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. Um, this has been, uh, you know, a great conversation thus far. Getting a, a deeper sense of well, what Goodwin's working on with the prop tech initiative and your viewpoints. Uh, coming up, we'll hear a little bit more about you uh, as people beyond uh, the law offices. We'll be right back. Are you looking to buy a home in New York City? Get more with Preview's industry-leading smart buyer rebate. Seamlessly search listings on Preview's end-to-end -end buyer platform, purchase your home with the expert advice of a local agent, Plus, receive up to 2% cash back thanks to Preview's Smart Buyer Commission rebate. Smart buyers get more with Preview. Go to previewapp.com backslash buyer. That's previewapp.com backslash buyer. We got a good high-level overview of what you are both working on and uh, in the space and in the industry of you know all the folks listening um and we've also learned that minta is an excellent baker um <laughs> thank you what other secret talents uh, do you have outside of the law well i would say the law is my second career my first career was one in which i moved to new york when i was 14 on my own and yeah. pursued uh professional dancing with school of american ballet Okay. Spent many years doing that. Went to professional children's school here in New York City and then danced professionally with a company for a couple of years before I decided it wasn't for me, didn't have the right temperament, and went to college. Wow. So you moved to New York on your own when you were a mm -hmm. teenager? Yeah. Where was your family based before that you moved away from? Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Well, that's a big move. Big move. I was happy to leave Fort Lauderdale, Florida. <laughs> Back then, it was just an awful place. I mean, being a, 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 a dancer is mm -hmm. often like a relatively limited length career, right? Was that something you sure. always foresaw yourself getting into law after, uh, after being a dancer? No, not at all. I loved it. It was my heart and soul. But when I, you know, um, traveled for a couple of years performing professionally. I realized that I didn't have the temperament to just stick with that life. So I pursued college. I lived lived in New York, would never leave New York, went to Barnard, New York only, 
wouldn't leave New York to go to law school. I went to Columbia, still in New York. Uh, and it was only years later that I left. And you moved up to Boston? Yes. And so, Leo, were, uh, were you a ballerina as well in your uh, early days? <laughs> or uh, what, were, what were you trying to be when I you I cannot uh, when say I was a ballerina. I will uh, trip over my feet as I walk out of here. So uh, that was not my career point. Uh, you, you know, I uh, went to law school straight out of college. I, I studied uh, chemical engineering and art history. And Makings I, of a great That's lawyer. quite a yes. combo, yeah. They, they made total sense to restore <laughs> paintings, I suppose. <laughs> but um, so I, I really wasn't going to do either of those two things because I didn't know what those jobs were. And so I went to law school, which I always had a real interest in and um, really allowed me to kind of figure it out and kind of, you know, what I always say about law school, it, it's kind of like, it's a trade school. It, it's, you learn a craft, you learn a trade, and you can apply that to, to so many different things. And so that was was kind of a, my reset of, of what do I want to do and where do I want to go? In some ways, these stories are not all that surprising, given that you both have found totally di- different paths to find something new in the world, right? Going from dancing to the law and from chemical engineering and art history unto itself, an interesting combination right. into the law. I mean, the idea of combining your two areas in property and, and real estate and, uh, and tech, it actually seems to fit the narrative there. I guess that's true. We're both innovators. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think, you know, it, it lets you to work with really smart people doing really interesting things and, and helping them build their vision. I think it, it's a super fun place to be. For 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 folks that are going into law school now, do you, do you think that there is a track available to them in the same way that they could have studied corporate law or other varieties? Is property tech a space to get into? Or is that something that is still the, the precedents are being written and you won't be able to study it? And so maybe it is good to study completely different careers and, and then find your way there like you did. Well, to comment on that, when I went to law school, there was one real estate course. <laughs> that was it. It was just nothing to be had in law at all. It was property, old technology, you know, old concepts and what have you. So it wasn't until I got out in the world that I really began to develop an interest in it. And it was through actually political work in New York City as a young college student and then as a law student working with some of the politicians who put me onto housing issues that I found fascinating. Going into law now is, I agree, a bit about learning a skill set to analyze and to think and to communicate. What you come out with after that enables you to pursue many, many different kinds of opportunities, some lit, some business, some big law, some small law. You know, It's just a wonderful grounding in terms of developing analytical and other thinking skills mm-hmm. to apply where you go. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I, I'm actually kind of, this is my second go around in the law in a way. I started practicing big law in New York. I, you know, had a real interest in, in media and became an entertainment lawyer. I then flipped out and actually, you know, joined a startup, which was really where I got my interest in tech and really it's kind of disruptive nature and worked there for, you know, for a number of years until we sold that company. What startup was that? It was called Juiced. It was an early stage digital media company where we distributed TV shows and and movies online, kind of a precursor to Hulu. Um, so did that. That led me to, to you know doing some more work in in the entertainment space uh, and TV development, and you know meet more tech companies. And that's really where I started my practicing law again. Is that when we sold that company, I started doing business development for for a lot of the startups that I knew. Started doing the legal work and kind of built my practice on the technical side up. You know through that time, but had an opportunity to do hospitality deals and hotel deals and. 
um, deals kind of across the sector. And so that's why, you know, it kind of. So you asked, is prop tech a real thing? It is a real Mm -hmm. thing. But should someone young target that as a place to go? I would say no, because by the time they're out of law school, there will be the next prop tech thing or the next different thing. But if people have an open mind and are interested in adapting and learning new things, then there will be opportunities in law that that we don't even know. We can't predict at this point in time. I mean, do you think there's other areas as well that uh, if you if you did see your sights set on being in the the modernization of the real estate world, as we've been talking about for this conversation, that there are other areas that you would recommend people get some more familiarity with, like more government regulation, more uh, kind of finance, et cetera, things that you would think are skill sets that are accretive to this career track, given that it's changing? I think developing a very deep understanding of the economics of real estate now that's going to blur with tech will be critically important. We don't have people who do that yet. And our clients are only beginning to understand that they need to develop in their teams that skill set. It doesn't exist. But I think if people can find a way to translate that, it will be very powerful going forward. Yeah. And I think you can also take what interests you and and find that amongst, you know, the real estate world. Because even the, you know, I'm a technology lawyer. Mint is a real estate lawyer. We're now doing a lot of the same things. And I think, you know, you can kind of drill down and people on the tech side or the real estate side, they may not be doing the same things. You could be more, you know, specializing in leases. You might be a funds lawyer. You might be, you know, an actual development lawyer. So I think there's, depending on what your interests are, there's a, there's a lot of ways to play in this space. And I think that's true both in kind of the prop tech area and, and, and different aspects of uh, of our businesses. Yeah. And Getting away from real estate for a second, what are some of the you know technologies that you use at home? Apps, you know, what are some of the things that uh, you find uh, most uh, interesting or helpful in your daily lives? <laughs> I know. I, uh... I, so I am not the most technologically adept person, but I do use obviously podcasts. We spoke about that before. I listen to them an awful lot. I use. Uh, some of the FitWatch applications an awful lot. How about you? Yeah, I, I, like Minda, I like to cook, I, and I like gadgets. So I like all the the new kind of kind of restaurant grade stuff that's coming to consumers. Consumers, so so like the immersion circulators mm-hmm. and like. But those aren't tech driven. Those are those just are, like operational. Some of them are Wi Fi. I better not go on that. No, they're <laughs> Wi Fi connected. Wi-Fi connected. Yeah, okay. like, it's just chemical engineering back then. Yeah, <laughs> immersion circulators came yeah. out of the lab. <laughs> exactly. I, I still serve my my, my wine. Are you in, doing sous vide? Sous vide, exactly. You are. Oh my yes. god. I have a hot plate. Yeah. No, no, no. That, that's exactly right. I can I can cook a perfect soft boiled egg. It only takes an hour and a half, <laughs> but it, but that's all passive time. I think this is this convergence is all around us now, exactly in every category <laughs> in our world. We like to give all of our guests the opportunity to share a final thought. Uh, can be a reflection on the conversation, or uh, just something you feel like you know sharing with uh, everyone today. I would say this has been a pleasure talking with you all tonight. Uh, very interesting conversation, very interesting space. I would encourage people who are interested in either tech or real estate to think seriously about the power that the convergence has. I went into real estate, as I said earlier, because it shapes the way we live. 
it shapes our hardscape, and that has a dramatic impact on all of us. People don't realize it until they actually see things change or they experience something in a hardscape they don't like. Today, we have the opportunity, working with the government who's looking at this as well, to really take tech and an old traditional sort of real estate and figure it into something that will be wonderful for us as we get older, but also for, you know, our children who come in the future. Yeah, no. Uh, also, thank thank you. We had a really interesting conversation. I think I'll actually echo something that Minta said uh, earlier as kind of a closing thought is that we're just at the beginning. We don't know what we don't know. And I think it's that kind of excitement and energy that, that, that I think is is uh, both exciting for me personally, but exciting about the space. And I think um, really excited by the opportunity, you know, kind of with my colleagues at Goodwin, Minta, and, and rest of the team to really be able to focus on that, both, you know, kind of here in the U.S., but kind of as we see changes globally and things coming out of Asia, uh, out of Europe. I think that's what's so exciting to me is that real estate is fundamentally, everyone touches it. Everyone knows it. So, so just seeing those trends kind of as they emerge globally uh, with, our, with our colleagues will be really exciting. It's a very important point. We have a global footprint, and so we're watching what's going on in London, Germany, and Paris right now as well as in Hong Kong. This is all happening over there too. And I think it would be interesting for you guys to look at that and think about that because what we've learned with this footprint is that the companies who start in one place blur very quickly to others as they see opportunities arise. And I expect that tech and real estate, prop tech, which is now really basically just in the U.S., slightly getting attention in Paris, not yet in Germany, will be abroad in the next year or two. This has been a a great conversation. Uh, For folks that want to connect with uh, the two of you and with with Goodwin, uh, how can they uh, reach out to you and, uh, and the firm? Certainly by email or phone. Yeah, the best place to find us is uh, just at our website. It's goodwinlaw.com. So you can find both of us individually as well as kind of information at, at our PropTech uh, landing page. Great. Uh, yeah, so for everyone uh, listening, if you want to reach out, uh, you know how to do it now. Uh, and thanks, as always, uh, for listening. And for Scott. Bye, everyone. I'm Tom. And real estate is your business. You've been listening to Real Estate Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for this show or to become a sponsor, email us at realestatebizshow at mouthmedianetwork.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Real Estate Biz Show. That's Real Estate B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, realestateisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network and brought to you by Preview. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.